So I guess I just wanted to start off by thanking you for talking to me about this topic. And I guess just start with like a brief introduction and uh, what your role is at the Albany Pine Bush. So my name is Neil Gifford. I'm the Conservation Director at the Albany Pine Bush Preserve Commission. And I serve as the commission's lead scientist, um, providing oversight for all of the research and management within the 3,400-acre Albany Pine Bush Preserve. So the topic that I wanted to talk about today was uh, primarily like our effects on migratory birds and stuff like that. To kind of start off, how, how do you see that light pollution impacts migratory birds? Yeah, that's a great question. Light pollution affects migratory birds primarily by disorienting them. And that disorientation leads them to spend a lot of time and energy. So it can it can lead to exhaustion, but also which can ultimately lead to mortality and not just mortality because they're tired. But when they're tired, they make mistakes. But in particular, you're probably familiar with um, the light display for the 9-11 memorial in New York City. And they actually now shut that off during particular key times during migration because the birds get disoriented and fly around the light and end up getting tired and running into buildings. So they rely on like natural sources of light? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, birds have a toolbox that they use for, for navigation when they migrate. And depending on the conditions, they'll use any number of those tools. So it includes magnetic fields. It includes on clear nights, they use stars and the moon. So they'll use natural light that way. Landmark features. Particularly for for migrating songbirds, migrating songbirds primarily migrate at night. So they leave right after sunset and fly throughout the night. And typically they'll stop in the morning wherever they happen to be. So as you can imagine, migration is a really expensive endeavor for birds, especially small birds like the ones that breed here, right? the tropical birds that breed in the pine bush during the summer and then go back south for the winter. You have a seven and a half gram, eight gram bird that's flying, you know, about 3,000 miles to go from here to uh, to Central America. And uh, birds are in trouble. So the, the main, one of the big reasons why light pollution in particular is problematic for birds is that it can lead to mortality and it's something we can address. According to a 2022 report from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, in particular, forest and grassland birds of North America have declined by over 25% since 1970. In the pine bush alone, there are 203 documented species and most of those are, are migratory. What do locations such as the pine bush offer for these birds? I guess like through their travel or just yeah. in general resources? Yep, that's a great question. And we've been actually bird banding and studying bird migration in the preserve for about 17 years. But the short answer is habitat and refuge. So imagine if you're an eight gram bird flying from you know the Northwestern territories of Canada, like mm-hmm. a black pole warbler might be. They, they fly all the way across the continent to the, to the northeastern United States and the Canadian Maritimes and then book out over the open ocean to head to Brazil. So having reliable places to stop, rest and refuel are really important. And that's what the Albany Pine Bush does for a lot of these birds. It provides them with a place to rest, refuel and get ready for the next leg of their journey. And typically for migratory songbirds, those migratory stopover points are bottlenecks in their annual cycle. They, you know, as I said, they're, I think of them more as tropical birds that summer here because they're only here for a few months of the year to take advantage of abundant food resources. And then when, as it starts getting colder, those, those insect populations that they're feeding on decline. So they fly back south. Having reliable places within that very long migration to, to rest and refuel is, is critically important. And because of our research, it's one of the reasons why the preserve was designated a bird conservation area and an important bird area because of the high concentration of migratory birds that stop here each fall. Now, you mentioned uh, bird banding in there. For people who might not know what that is, what is bird banding? 
Yep, that's a great question. So bird banding involves capturing and fitting birds with uh, basically a bracelet with a unique number on it. So it's kind of like a license plate. Only one bird in the world has that number. So we catch birds in the fall in our mist nets and fit them with a unique, uniquely numbered leg band, record the, the band number and the species and so forth, and then set them on their way and then to, to, fin- to finish their journey. All of that data goes to the USGS bird banding lab. So anybody that ever encounters one of those birds, again, whether it's us or whether it's somebody, say, down in Florida, can report that number. And as the bird bander, I will get that information from that report. But also all of our bird banding data is contributing to the continental-wide study of birds in North America. So the um, the process of bird banding, that doesn't like affect the bird negatively, I guess? They're lightweight aluminum bands, and this mm-hmm. is the, people have been banding for a long, long time, but it effectively helps us understand what birds stop here, when, where they come from, and long-term, it helps us understand the effect of the preserved management and climate change on migratory birds. So um, as you mentioned before with the New York City, the that memorial, yeah. that's where I first encountered kind of this topic was the yeah. stories in New York and how like there's just many birds that are like laying on the street as a result of hitting the buildings. So the Albany capital region area, that's kind of different in comparison to New York. So how does this? Yes. and like, no. I, yeah. I started banding actually with Dr. Jeremy Kirkman from the New York State Museum, mm-hmm. the curator of birds there. And he sees the same phenomenon here in Albany, especially under foggy conditions. So the bird, the birds are disoriented by light. It's foggy. It's hard for them to see. They're really primarily using, you know, other cues to try and migrate. But no, he, he, he encounters the same phenomenon here in Albany, particularly around the, around the plaza mm-hmm. with dead birds in the morning. So he will, he will frequently walk the plaza and collect birds for the museum's collection. So the same thing happens here. What, what can people, like just everyday people do in order to help better this, I guess? We're all everyday people. Um, <laughs> so as I said, birds are in trouble, right? And the primary sources of mortality of songbirds, actually, all of the biggest ones by far are human caused. So the number one, according to the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, source of mortality of wild birds are cats. Outdoor house cats kill 2.4 billion with a B birds a year in North America. The second source of mortality are window strikes. So that's 600 million. So just orders of magnitude higher for cats. But 600 million birds are estimated to be killed by windows and then 200 million by cars. So people can do a number of things to try and offset that. One is first and foremost to keep your cats indoors. I'm a field ornithologist. I love birds and I like cats. I have two and uh, they never go outside. They're all they're, they're indoor cats exclusively. There's a program called Dark Skies. So in particular, during migration, like they do in New York City with temporarily um, limiting the, the lighted memorial for, for 9-11, they'll, they'll turn that off. Similarly, um, reducing outdoor light pollution mm-hmm. is helpful, especially in a lot of municipalities in that capital region colony is great with this, where they require exterior lighting to be down facing and enclosed. So it's not casting light up and out. Reducing light pollution is something that people can do at night. Reducing window glare, actually. So a lot of birds, um, particularly early in the morning when on south-facing sides of buildings where the sunlight is creating a reflection, birds can't determine that there's a win- that that's a window re- and a reflection versus you know more open space to fly through. So there are a number of things that you can do to reduce window glare. And ultimately, people can help birds by using bird-friendly landscaping. We often think about bird feeders, you know, providing bird seed. But the best bird feeders are native plants, and in particular, native shrubs that produce insects that native birds will eat. If you're really interested in getting birds in your yard, 
planting native trees and shrubs, in particular oaks and cherries and pines, are far better than any any bird feeder you could put out. And I guess lastly, I would say supporting open space conservation and management. The Albany pine bush is this globally rare inland pitch pine scrub oak barrens sandwiched between Albany and Schenectady that protects 3,400 acres. If we if we if we want wildlife and we want birds around us, protecting what open space there is is really really important. So even if you can't necessarily do that in your own backyard, there are lots of ways that you can support local conservation efforts to try and protect open space and strike a balance between economic development and habitat for all kinds of wildlife, including birds. So I know um, before you had mentioned research that was happening at the Pine Bush, is there any like kind of like organizations or kind of like activities that people can get involved in to learn more about this topic? Yeah, one of the great resources would be even online just to go to the um, USGS Bird Banding Lab website and you can learn a lot about that. We've been banding birds in the fall for 17 years. We've been banding birds in the summer to evaluate the impacts of our management on birds. Birds have what's called site fidelity. So if they're successful in a habitat, the pair will return year after year to that same site. So we've been collecting and we have a lot number of volunteers that help us with our bird banding activities um, and studying birds, learning more about birds. Again, that all goes to the USGS. So they're adding to what's known of birds in North America, but also it's helping us learn about the impacts of our management and how we can modify our management to improve habitat. Eastern whippoorwill actually have moved back into the preserve after about 30 years of being absent. We believe mm-hmm. thanks to our management and creating favorable habitat for them. If anybody searches online, the American Bird Conservancy or Audubon, of course, are great, great places to learn about migratory birds. Is there anything else that you would like to add in? In particular, you know, all wildlife, not just birds. We hear a lot about the, the climate crisis that's going on, but there's also a even more dire biodiversity crisis and species crisis with animals going extinct and becoming endangered. And I think there's a lot that folks can do to help offset some, some of that and, and help preserve wildlife by protecting and supporting the conservation and management of healthy functioning ecosystems. It's not enough to only purchase or protect a piece of land and set it aside, like putting it on a shelf. Managing for functioning ecosystems is not only going to help offset the climate crisis, but also help offset the biodiversity crisis that we're in and save an awful lot of species. Well, thank you for all the information that you could um, provide. And uh, thank you for being on the show. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure.